Amen? That's powerful, isn't it? That's powerful. Uh, I've been, God's been put on my heart. You know, one of my favorite books in the Bible is Jonah. Um, I think it has so much to teach us. I'm going to, over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be sharing of this story. You know, um, what really hit me is as you look around, and it's the title of my message Desperate Times Require Desperate Measures. And as you look around our country, you look around the world, things seem pretty desperate. But as I was going through scripture, you know, there doesn't seem to be many generations that there weren't desperate times. And God made sure that desperate measures took place to get things back online for his kids and those that he loves. So what I want you to do today, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to the book of Jonah. And like I said, we're going to spend the next couple weeks just looking through the book. And while you're turning there, we're going to be in chapter Jonah, chapter 1. Let me start by saying this today. I believe that God is moving, really moving, a place, God's preparing us for something. You don't have desperate times without God willing to do something with desperate measures. You know, in Second Chronicles, it says this, for the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth so that he may be strongly support those whose heart is completely his. I believe that he's preparing. Everyone listening, uh, you know, on live stream, social media platforms, those that are sitting here today, that he's making a distinction right now in this culture in the world and he's drawing a line in the sand. All right, so let's look at Jonah. I know most of us are familiar with the story, right? It was one of those stories we heard as a kid. But it seems as we get older, sometimes it seems to lose its awe factor, you know? I don't know what it is, but it seems as adults, you know, we read through it and we go, okay, okay, okay. Guy runs from God. Guy gets swallowed by fish. Man gets spit up on the beach, okay? And then he goes and preaches to a city of Nineveh and, well, I want to tell you there's a whole lot more to this story than that. You know, I remember quite a few years ago, a secular scientist claimed, he says, that the story in, 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 in the Bible about Jonah, it, it, it was untrue. There's no way that a human being could ever be swallowed by a fish. Well, that was until a few years later, when actually someone actually did get swallowed by a whale shark, and they lived. And in case you didn't know this, a whale shark is a fish. It's not a shark. Whales are mammals. But even if it wasn't a whale shark that swallowed Jonah, I believe it's true, historically true. And I'll tell you why, because Jesus said so. Jesus said so in Matthew 12, 40. Jesus said, for as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So I don't know about you, but I'm going to stick with Jesus on this whole story, okay? All right, well, okay, let's, let's look at Jonah. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Now mine is in New Living Translation. It says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, Get up and go to that great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked these people are. But Jonah 
got up. He went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket, went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, as we go through the book, I want you to understand that Jonah's story, it's really our story. Not necessarily maybe the fish part, okay? But I think if we honestly would look, we're going to see that we have something in common with Jonah. And uh, at some points, and this is what it is, at some point in our lives, we were like Jonah. We turned the other direction and ran from God. We didn't want to go do necessarily what he wanted us to do. See, don't miss this. You know, if you're new here, I give a couple don't miss this in my message. And I always do this because if you remember anything else, I want you to remember these. The great truth I've learned is you can run from God, but you can't outrun him. You can't outrun him. The Bible says that there is absolutely nowhere, nowhere that he can't reach you. As a matter of fact, in Psalms 139, let me read this to you. 139, 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Like if I ascend to heaven, well, you're there. <laughs> if I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you're there. If I take up the wings of the dawn, or if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will take hold of me. There isn't anywhere that we can't run from the influence of our Father in heaven. And when I'm talking about running, okay, I'm not talking about you guys physically running, okay? All right, I mean, Jonah physically runs away from God. I'm not talking about that for us. I'm talking maybe the person who runs, by, runs from God in maybe a, a specific way. You know, maybe you said this person that says, you know what, God, you can have everything in my life, but not that. There might be some of you here today, you know, I'm talking about a person, well, let's say they're financially running from God. You know, uh, they know that God, I mean, come on, think about this. They know this has ever happened to you. I know God wouldn't necessarily approve of how I'm using my money, but it's, like I said, it's my money. Or maybe he wouldn't approve of how I'm spending my time. Or how about the special abilities and gifts that he's given us? So we basically run from what he really needs us to, what we were initially really created for. And you know what? We all run for the same reason. We, we tell ourselves this. I know that God wants this from me, but if I do that, or if I give that up, okay, I'm going to be missing out. I'm going to be missing out on something. And let me tell you, missing out on something that God asked you to do, this is nothing new. It started from the beginning of mankind. Genesis 3, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord made. One day he asked the woman, don't you love this? Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Did he? Of course, she said, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But she goes, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. And God said, well, you, he actually said, God said, God said, you must not eat it or even touch it, because if you do, you're going to die. Satan, you're not going to die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you'll be just like him, knowing both good and knowing evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that tree, it was beautiful, and the fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom 
okay, that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And then at that moment, their eyes were open and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Adam and Eve were fooled into, they were fooled into believing that God was holding the best back from them. I hope you're hearing the story. And let me tell you, I think many of us do exactly the same thing. I think we should ask ourselves a couple questions. What is this God that we serve really like? Have you ever asked yourself, what's he really like? Why is it that I value this thing or maybe this stuff over here than I value serving God? I mean, it's a good question, right? What is it that offers that God can't be better? Or that if we give ourselves fully to him and he causes, you know, where we, we, if I give myself fully to him, well, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna be missing out. There might be some trips I won't be able to take or maybe I won't be able to play golf every single day or maybe tennis or whatever. It's kind of like, you know, we say this stuff, but it's like this world has anything to offer us that, can, that could possibly compare to what heaven awaits each and every one of us. Look, look at what the Apostle Paul said. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those that love him. Had you ever stop and think about that? Friends, look, at the world relies on human wisdom to deal with their problems, okay? We can see how well it's really working really well. And they value worldly intelligence and philosophy above the wisdom of God. I want to show you this morning just three things from this story of Jonah that describes everybody, everybody who runs from God in any form or fashion. Three things that we all have in common when we decide to do this. So as we read in Jonah 1, Jonah is close to Joppa. This is important. God tells him to go to Nineveh. Instead, he gets on the ship and he's heading to Tarshish. Today, we call Joppa, Jaffa, and it's in Israel. Nineveh was in Iraq, and Tarshish, well, it was in Spain. Jonah's going two opposite directions. He's supposed to be over up here, he's going down here. Our first principle. When you run from God, you end up running to the strangest of places. You see, Tarshish was a Phoenician port city. And the, and the Phoenicians were a great seafaring people. They had a strong military. They were warring people. And they were very materialistic, as well as living their lives outside of the will of God. So Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Because the people there, the story says, you don't want to go there because those people are wicked. I mean, they're really bad. I mean, they really, I mean, they, they kill babies and torture people. They hate the Israelis. I'm not going, they're so wicked. So instead, he goes to Tarshish, where the people are wicked too. He goes from, they're wicked here, they're wicked here. Doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Well, neither does running from God. This is what the story tells us. But that's what happens. You run from God, and man, you wind up in some of the strangest places and make some of the most oddest decisions. And that leads me to principle two. When you're running from God, your life will eventually unravel and it'll self-destruct. Any of you who have been walking this life long enough know what I'm saying here. 
And it doesn't happen overnight, not usually. But over a period of time, tell me, things all of a sudden seem to go from bad to worse. And here's why. And it goes along with making wise decisions. And it's another don't miss this. When a person runs from God, they are running away from the only source of wisdom and truth. You run away from, you're, you're missing all his wisdom, all his truth. You're running from God. Look at what James said. James 1. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. It'll be given to him. Did you know that? I mean, sometimes I wonder if we realize all we can do is ask. Jesus, his brother, half-brother, said this. But, he, but you got to ask in faith, without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded, unstable in all his ways. You see, when you turn your back on wisdom and truth, you begin making some seriously bad decisions. And the crazy thing is, tell me if this isn't true, we convince ourselves they're good decisions. We tell ourselves, ah, come on, you know, come on. God wants me to have this. God wants me to be happy. Well, if I do this or do that, it's going to make me happy. Friends, remember, running from God doesn't necessarily mean, I'm doing it again, physically running. It can mean doing something he says not to do or not do something he says for you to do. It could be one or the other. You're running away. We justify our behavior and find ourselves asking, come on, back to the garden. Did he really say that? Did God really say you should do, th do that or do this? Friends, here's what's really important. Even when you repent and you receive God's forgiveness, there's still consequences. I mean, just look at the life of King David and Bathsheba. I mean, you, you remember the story, right? King David's supposed to be out in battle. He stayed home. He looks out his window as a beautiful woman taking a bath on a rooftop. You know, next thing he brings over, she belonged to his general. Okay, he has sex with her. She winds up getting pregnant. Okay, and boy, and, and then it's, it's beyond that. Now he's trying to cover this up. And so what he does, because the general, has, he wouldn't come back home. He's going to stay with his troops. He tells another commander, this is what I want you to do. Her husband always says, I want him to be leading a group into battle. And when he's in the midst of it, I want you to pull everybody else back. So he gets killed. And that's exactly what happened. So when David and Bathsheba's child was born, the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to confront David. And David used a parable. And what do you see David all through this? A rich man took a poor man's only sheep. Visualize it's her husband. A rich man, which is him, takes a poor man, which is his general, only sheep, his wife, okay? And, but he kills that sheep, even though he has many flocks of his own, which means David had a lot of concubines. David, a former shepherd, was so angered by the story that Nathan shared with him, which he thought was true. He said, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then Nathan pointed to David and he uttered the chilling words, you are that man. You are that man. 
David was the one guilty of the sin, and judgment would be upon his house in the form of ongoing violence. David repented, and David said, the Lord has taken away your sins. You're not going to die, but because by you doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord. The son born to you will die. The child did die a week later, and David's household, wait to hear this, experienced further hardship in later years. In total, four of David's sons suffered untimely deaths. That's the four times over. Remember, David says, oh, get paid four times, I'm going to pay him back. And so, friends, your life's going to go sideways when you run from God. It's just going to go sideways. The reason a person's life goes sideways when they run from God is because God's got this wonderful plan and purpose for your life, no matter how difficult situations you might be in, whether they're health, their family issues, marriage, I mean, whatever it is. God's plan and purpose for Jonah was to go to Nineveh. I want you to go there and redirect them. And when Jonah ran, do you realize he was only running from, he was, he was not only running from God, he was running from God's very plan and purpose for him. I mean, I hope you get, I hope you've been following God long enough to know there's a plan for you, a perfect purpose of why you were created. I've had conversations with people that, that, that will say to me, well, you know, Paul, how do I know what my purpose is? Maybe you've asked this. Well, I'll say, well, why don't we start with what you know? Are you a parent? Okay, well, that's part of your purpose. Look at the talents God's given you. If you can't sing, then it's a good bet that God hasn't called you to be a singer. You ever been in there going, oh, I can sing? No, not really, you know? Are you a Christian? Then part of your purpose is to share the love of Christ. It's really simple. Friends, look at, <laughs> you were no accident. I love Psalm 139, 13. For you, God, created my innermost parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because I'm awesome, awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my formless substance. And in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as of yet there was not even one of them yet. Don't miss this. True fulfillment in life is answering the call of God, becoming all that you were created to be, everything you were created to be. And here's my third principle. When you run from God, people who run from God always end up hurting those that are the closest to them. You see, as your life begins to unravel, everyone around you gets affected. We see that with, with these sailors that are on this boat with Jonah. These men had no idea what was about to happen to them. As far as they knew, they were just taking this passenger who paid a fee and taking them with them in their cargo and going to drop them off in Tarshish. But you got to remember, Tarshish was a port city. And so these guys, I mean, they're merchants. They're taking their cargo to either sell it or to trade it. It's their livelihood. It's how they make money. But suddenly the storm hits, and they end up throwing all their cargo overboard. There goes their paycheck. They threw it overboard. 
They're affected by Jonah running from God. I don't know if you got to catch. They're affected because he is running from God. Friends, if we run from God, we're going to affect our families, our relationships, and our purposes in life. I mean, look what happened here. This is Jonah 1, verse 7. Then the crew cast lots to see which one of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What's your nationality? Can you imagine the storm's going, they're throwing stuff, they're probably seasick, all this is happening. Jonah answers, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Well, now they're, now they're terrified. The sailors are terrified, for he had already told them that he was running from God to begin with. Oh, and, the, and they said, well, why did you do this to us, Jonah? Why did you do this to us? And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked, what should we do to stop the storm? How are we going to stop this? Jonah says, well, throw me in the sea. Throw me in the sea. And he goes, yeah, and it will become calm again. I know this storm is my fault. Instead, the sailors rode, rode even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die because it is man's sin. And don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. See, this is amazing, isn't it? All this stuff that's going on. You know, you've got these pagan sea merchants who just found out that Jonah is the cause of their problems, and he even tells them, throw me overboard. And what do they do? They try even harder, their very best. They're trying to roll back to get the ship back to dry land. And when they didn't work, they prayed. And look who they prayed to. That word, Lord, they prayed to the Lord. In Hebrew, word means Yahweh. They're on the deck of the ship, they're on their knees, and they're praying for the first time ever to Yahweh. And they start asking for forgiveness from him. These guys are convinced. These guys understand the fear of the Lord, even if Jonah really doesn't. So they're repenting, and they're asking for forgiveness, and they're praying. They don't want to throw Jonah overboard. But look at Jonah, he would rather die. I mean, this is crazy. He would rather die than follow God's plan. You know, he could have said, everything. he could have just said this. Okay, I suppose I can go to Nineveh. If you'll drop me off at the next port so I can go, all will be well. But instead, he's like, just kill me. He hated the Ninevites so bad, and we're really going to talk about that next week because we have a lot of Ninevites in our life. He hated the Ninevites so bad he'd rather die than go to try to tell them that there's a way to repent and God could save them. You know, we may look at this story kind of in awe, but the reality is it's not that unusual. I've met people who are running. You know, they've got the idea in their life that they're unwilling to give to God. They've got this area. And I, 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 I just don't want to give this to God. They're unwilling to repent. Whatever it is, it's got its hooks really deep in them. Look at this. is I, Powerful, don't miss this. Sin can sink its teeth so deep in you, it's almost like it's a part of you. 
Sin can sink its teeth so deep in you, it's almost like it's a part of you. The answer, this is a stronghold that gets a hold of you, and you try to battle it yourself, and you keep tripping and falling, tripping and falling. You know, the, the answer to these strongholds, the answer to get rid of the stuff that's got a hold of you is just to humble yourself before God, and you just say, God, you are God. You are Lord of all. I can't let go of this. I cannot stop sinning with this. I can't stop looking at pornography. I can't stop messing around with the neighbor's wife or husband. I can't stop it. I can't stop drugs. I can't drop alcohol. I need you to take it. And, and, and it's humbly saying, God, even if you've got to take it by force, but just take it so I can stop running. I want to run to you instead. You know, Paul told us in 2 Corinthians, he goes, we're human. <laughs> but he goes, look, we don't rage war as humans do. See, he goes, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. He says, look, it, there's nothing wrong, guys, with reading Oprah and Dr. And Phil Smith and you know, all those guys. I mean, there's nothing wrong with any of it. Okay, but there's some things they cannot cure. You've got to be healed holistically, body, mind, and your soul. The world's pretty good at giving you some good knowledge and things on how to deal with everyday situations. My wife does that all day long with people, individuals, helping them through that. But ultimately, the complete healing is when all three line up. I remember I used to volunteer at a local uh, uh, in-house uh, alcoholic uh, rehab facility. And I go in there once a week and I would do the religious part with people, you know, and talk about God and, and so forth. But I just remember telling each and every one of them, I said, you know, you can do really well with the body and mind and conquer that. You know, they get the right drugs and get you balanced out. You know, you get the right people talking, you get your head straight and everything. But unless your soul is right, you got two parts, you got the third missing. The odds of you falling back into your old pattern is really good. Having all three lining up, the odds become much, much more in your favor that you're gonna make it through this. So as we wind this down, can I tell you, if that's you this morning, anybody listening or whatever, I gotta tell you something, there's good news here. <laughs> Maybe it'll be good news for you. You can't outrun God, but here's the part. He will pursue you. It doesn't matter if you call yourself a believer or not. I wasn't a believer for 42 years. God never stopped pursuing me. He won't stop pursuing your children, your grandchildren, He's your wife. He's not going to stop pursuing you. He won't do it. In Luke, Jesus tells a story, a parable. He says, what man among you, if he had a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the other 99 in the open pasture and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he puts it on his shoulder. We all know that famous painting. Puts the lamb on his shoulder, rejoicing. I found you, I got you back. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and he says, rejoice with me, I found my sheep. That was lost. And Jesus goes, I'm gonna tell you, he said, and in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. 
If your life is a wreck, if it's a mess, that very well might be a God-ordained storm in your life just to get your attention in order to get you back on track where I need you to be. I needed you to go to Nineveh, but no, 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 you're still over here heading to Tarshish. What do I got to do to move you? Don't you understand? I'm pursuing you. you. I created you for a purpose and plan in life. I got to get you back on track. You keep going down this path over here, it's self-destruction. Don't keep walking down that path. Friends, we got a whole world running from God. They're running in circles. They don't know what to do next. Everything keeps spinning and spinning. God will pursue you. Always. Because he has a reckless love for his kids. He's reckless. I mean, it's crazy what he'll do to sacrifice his one and only son. It seems reckless. I'll do whatever I got to get you back. He's got a reckless love for all your shortcomings, all your shortfalls. He just wants to heal us. He wants to heal our brokenness. That's all he wants to do. Watch this last video.